Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It finally happened, folks. The kickoff weekend of the 2021 college tennis season officially in the books. What a weekend it was. We had fantastic action on the court, drama off of it, and of course, we were able to cover all of it in person on our Crack Rackets Red Zone feed. I'm going to say it one more time. I know I've said it on all of our podcasts here this week, but to all of you Crack Rackets fans who joined us on the broadcast, to the players, the coaches who sent us messages congratulating us on our efforts. We are so appreciative of all of your support for our Red Zone feed. It meant the world to us to be able to do this on the opening weekend of the college tennis season, to share our joy of college tennis with all of you fans, to get to hear from you during all of the action. What a weekend it was, and with that in mind, let's get into today's podcast, recapping everything, and of course, joining me to do just that the two other members of our college tennis holy trinity let's start where we always start you know him as your favorite writer on our website crackrackets.com a former four-star recruit on tennisrecruiting.net the man who is on the ground in ann arbor for the drama that unfolded it's matt the cracks the koyak maddie hey great shot great to see you are back home in one piece your takeaway from the city was mr spots did it live up to the hype i should say you know, Gruskin, you were hyping it up so much that my expectations <laughs> were just through the roof. And, you know, it was a cool spot. It, it, it really was. I enjoyed going there. I got the wings, the hot wings, like you recommended, and they were good. I'm not going to lie. They were very good. I enjoyed the meal. But, you know, I can't, I can't say that maybe they were the best wings that I've ever had in my life. I mean... They were very solid. Would I get them again if I was ever in Ann Arbor? Absolutely, I certainly would. However, there's a lot of good wing spots down here in Raleigh that I go to typically. I mean, we got bottle wings. I mean, there's so many different spots that I typically go to. Mr. Spots was great. It was definitely a good experience. I'm glad I went, um, but I'm not sure that I'll be putting it right at the top of the list anytime soon. 
Here's the problem. You didn't have someone to also share a cheesesteak sandwich with you. That's such an important part of the Mr. Spots experience. And I had the third member of our college tennis, Holy Trinity, joining us today. We'll bring him in now, the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the professor, the snitch, the one-shoulder designer. It's Chris. Oh, and the man who quotes Henry Ford. It's Chris. Chris, Chris, hey, great shot, I have to say. Having you joining me in the play-by-play booth, it gave us the excuse to order that additional cheesesteak sandwich, and we were in heaven. Yeah, I mean, what the, I mean, it was delivered. We're at the VTC covering the Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor Challenger, doing play-by-play. I get hot wings. I get to share a cheesesteak sandwich my, with my buddy Gruskin. You can put that image in your head on how we shared it, but it was outstanding. <laughs> It was a 101 Dalmatians thing. We had the the sandwich between us, and we were just biting until we got to the center. It was a beautiful moment uh, in the play-by-play booth. But, of course, Chris, you were also kind enough to join us all weekend long for our Red Zone coverage. And a huge shout-out to you, obviously. Uh, It it would have been impossible for me to go. What did we do? 11 hours, I think, on Saturday. The thought of doing that alone is just horrifying. So shout-out to you. And, of course, first glance back at the kickoff weekend what a weekend it was oh i mean outstanding great i mean friday through and well obviously actually all the way through monday right we we even got to call that uh, the usc match monday but friday through monday a shortened sunday which was kind of a bummer but yeah i mean outstanding weekend we got to kick everything off and uh you know hopefully that just gets it going for us Absolutely. Hopefully we have a full college tennis season ahead of us. And what all of you listeners have in store for you, a full podcast today. We're going to go region by region, breaking down all of the action. We're not going to talk about every individual match. If we did, this podcast would go 12 hours or maybe even until the kickoff of the actual national indoor quarterfinals. But we will give our biggest takeaways, talk about the things we noticed most. Chris, I know you have a brand new top 10 rankings for your teams coming out of this weekend. We don't have our latest edition of the Crack Rackets Top 10 poll. That is on me, uh, but I will ask both of you guys. We'll come together later in the week. We'll release that, so be on the lookout for that as well, as obviously we have some takeaways from this event. Let's start, and we're going to go by, you know, in in my opinion, uh, the most pertinent regions. We'll start with the most and work our way through, but let's start with the one region that ended uncompleted. It's the region where Maddie was live on the ground It's the region most near and dear to my heart. Of course, that's in Ann Arbor, where at the University of Michigan, we saw play suspended on Sunday as before the championship round of 16 began due to the fact that the state health department shut down the University of Michigan athletics for two weeks. And the word on the street Look, the Michigan tennis team wanted to allow Baylor, Texas A&M to play. They wanted to keep their facility open. They didn't have a choice. It wasn't a question. It wasn't a request. It was a, hey, you are isolating for two weeks, and we are shutting you down. Now do what you have to do to act accordingly. That was the edict given from the Michigan government, and it's always worth remembering we're playing this season in the midst of a pandemic. So there are going to have to be concessions on the part of each and every team. And thankfully at the time, we were all thinking, you know, Baylor, Texas A&M, it's a 90-minute drive. They'll figure out a way to play that match in Texas. We'll figure out a way to determine who our final qualifier for the national indoors is. 
Chris, I want to go to you first because we've both had a lot of conversations over these past few days trying to figure out what exactly is happening with this prospective Baylor-Texas A&M round of 16 match without getting anyone in trouble, without revealing any sources. What is What are your general feelings right now surrounding this match, Chris? So I think first I'll start with probably what a lot of people were thinking. The same thing I was thinking is what a lot of people were thinking, and that was hey, man, just drive down the road somewhere. Go to Michigan State, go to Notre Dame, go to Valpo, go, you know, go somewhere that somebody will look, go to Kalamazoo, whatever. Go play the match, uh, which is kind of what I was thinking. My understanding is, in addition to basically shutting everything down, um, the teams were basically to- were treated as if they, you know, as if it was a contact tracing thing. It was, hey, get the hell out of the state, right? Go home. You're not going anywhere else to play. So, that kind of took that out of the equation, which was unfortunate. So, yeah, I mean, I we don't know for sure with any certainty until the ITA comes out and makes a decision. You know, all I can say is from the, the, the number of folks that we've talked to, it sounds like the lean is what would happen in a situation where it would, if it had been just ended because of inclement weather, these are, this obviously is an inclement weather, but they're extenuating circumstances. And that there's something in the rules to the effect of the high seed remaining gets the spot. So had that decision come down a day earlier, Michigan would be going to indoors. It comes down in the middle of the the middle of the tournament after the first day. I believe the lean right now is AM gets the spot and goes to indoors. Obviously, there are a lot of people that want to see the match played. That might still happen. We don't know. But I think right now the lean is AM gets the spot, and that's who we're going to see in indoors. I'm very happy we have the professor on the podcast, Maddie, because I think you did an excellent job of breaking it down there, Chris. Look, the rules are the rules, but this is the ITA's event. The ITA is the governing body of college tennis. Ultimately, you imagine this final decision comes down to them. And of course, we are, again, negotiating a season in a pandemic. But Maddie, and obviously, worth noting, Nick Stokowiak, your brother on the Baylor Bears roster. You were in Ann Arbor on the ground. You can speak to this as well as anyone. I have talked to a few people around the Baylor program as well. You could play it in an airstrip. You could play it outdoor on the snow. You could play it in an ice rink. Coach Woodson will have his Bears there. You name the circumstance. You can pick their lineup. He will have them playing. I imagine that's the feeling around the Baylor team as well, and I imagine that's your feeling too as a neutral third party. Well, I don't know if you're quite a neutral third party in this one, but just your perspective, play the match, right? Make the case for play the match. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's look, an easy case to make. Easy case to make, and, and you guys will remember this very well. You know, Tim Russell was was a guest on your Red Zone coverage, and I listened to every single word that he spoke. Um, and, and you guys will remember, right? He was talking about this season is unprecedented. They're going to have to be flexible. We don't know how this is going to turn out, so we have to be flexible. Use those words about things could look a little, di- a little bit differently, right? Come the NCAA tournament could be a little bit different. Are they going to have to take, you know, into account how many teams are playing? He mentioned Stanford, right, as a team that may not start their season until March. However, they're going to take everything into account. So to me, wouldn't it seem hypocritical if he just came on and stated that 
but then he's going to follow a rule down to the T that doesn't even really apply. I mean, inclement weather, that's BS. I mean, that has nothing to do with it. You would think that in this season, right, he just said it. I didn't say it. He came on and said they're willing to be flexible and adaptable. Well, here's the opportunity. This is the first opportunity to do that. Find a way to play the match. It's not Baylor's fault. It's not Texas A&M's fault either that Michigan cracked down and, and told them to get out of town. That's not their fault. I mean, these two schools are very close to each other in proximity. Play it at A&M, play it at Baylor, play it at SMU, play it wherever you want to play the match. But, I mean, neither one of these teams should should get robbed of the opportunity to play in indoors when they had nothing to do with it. Yeah, Just look, currently somewhere. No, currently. No, I, I mean, and again, are you going to want Baylor to play? Worth noting for our listeners, of course, Maddie's going to want that. Chris is currently wearing an SEC championship but I think everyone, shirt. So. I think everybody no. would, other than A&M, would want to see this match played. Everybody other than A&M, right? You know, I was trying to set up a joke for a long punchline there, and that was going to be the punchline of the joke is that Maddie's wearing the Baylor hat. Chris has the SEC championship shirt on, which shows, you know, Texas A&M SEC championship. I have no shirt on, so I will be the third-party arbiter here. I just—the only people who might be slightly upset by playing the match is Texas A&M. And, like, respectfully— I just think it's better for the long-term season if we say, look, we are asking these teams to be flexible. Please, Texas A&M, as a precedent, just show, like, yes, we understand a match isn't always going to be played under the perfect circumstances, but of course we're willing to accommodate. You guys are willing to come play us here in College Station. Then, yes, we will host you, and, you know, there will be positive testing. Now, Chris, you raised a really good point, and we were talking about this beforehand, and I'm going to steal your point here, but I wanted to cite you beforehand. If you're Texas A&M, you had a full lineup this weekend. You were going to have Vashiro, Habib, Aguilar, Schachter, Smith, and Marcon. And those are probably their six guys moving forward throughout the rest of the year. God forbid one of them has tested positive in the subsequent days since. And they don't have a full competitive roster that they would have had on Sunday. That's a legitimate beef. That is a legitimate beef because now Texas A&M is at a competitive disadvantage through no fault of their own. And then you have a legitimate gripe with the cancellations. And that was Chris's point. And I think that is the legitimate argument you have for Texas A&M. However, sans a positive test, I don't see a legitimate argument for not playing the match. If you are, if you are just a neutral party to this affair, Chris, your thoughts on that? Well, first, my thoughts are, and I don't know how this is going down, right? This, I know what we've heard, how we've arrived at it, I don't know. But what I would say is the ITA frankly, can't leave it up to Texas A&M. Because if you're going to leave it to the school, if you come to me and I'm whoever's in charge of that decision, whether that be Steve Denton, whether it be the AD, whether it be whoever, and you say, hey, look, we're going to give you two options. You can just take the spot and go to indoors, or you can play the match. Now, okay, a bunch of you on your high horses out there are going to get on your stool and go, (laughs) oh, you should do the right thing and play the match. And if it came to you and that was the choice, you're going to go, yeah, give me the spot. So so it can't be left up to you know left to AM and I don't know what how, how that's all playing about right it, but but the I think the ITA is the one that's got to got to be responsible and even if they do leave it up to AM they still got to stand behind it you know it's kind of like you uh, you being the head coach your players do something you still you own up to to what happens right it's your decision 
So I think the ITA takes it on. And if that, if that's what they decide, you know, then they decide it and, th and that's on them. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, you just can't, A&M, obviously, if, if you ask them, they're going to say, oh, we can take the spot or play. Yeah. Give me the spot. I'm good. You can describe me as a high horse all you want, Chris, but I like to think my team would play the match. I like to think an Alex Gruskin coach team is like, you know, we're good enough. We're cocky enough. We're going to beat them anyways. We'll go play the match. Uh, no, but, you know, you're, you want to give everybody a trophy. That's all. <laughs> well, you know my generations. We're the participation trophy generation. You guys have never put on your lunch hat and gone to work at a real blue-collar job. When I grew up, we had candlelight. It's like, no, you didn't. You grew up in the 60s. You had AC. You had television. Uh, anyways, this is an argument for a different time. Maddie, you were shaking your head. I'll give you the final word on the off-court stuff, and then I want to talk a little bit about the on-court stuff we saw in Ann Arbor. Yeah, it's all on the ITA. You know, Tim Russell, if you're listening to this, don't be hypocritical. You just stated to everybody last weekend on the Red Zone coverage, this is a different year, right? You've got to be flexible. You've got to be adaptable. It is all on you. It is all on you. So the ITA is the only one when this decision comes out, we know who to look to. And they're going to have to deal with the consequences either way. Yeah. I mean, look, you're right. It's an ITA decision. I'll say this. They have to balance many many different things uh, it, it, it's so many different entities and so many different partners that they want to keep happy and they're trying to hold the season in a pandemic so you can understand why they're being thorough with this decision of course I would lean towards maybe not put it the way you did but I would say the point of the college tennis season is to play college tennis not to let people advance by rules so if we can play the match in a safe condition let's try and play the match that being said we did get to play two matches on Saturday, and Maddie, you were in person for the Baylor Bears knocking off my Wolverines for love. Now, that scoreline is brutal, and I could have probably brought a knife and stabbed you virtually in this Skype, but I don't want to do that because I know it was a 4-0 scoreline, but you were there. What did you see on the ground, and do you agree with the perception Chris and I had that it felt a lot closer than that 4-0 scoreline might indicate? Yeah, I definitely think it was a little bit closer. I mean, you look at 4-0 and go, okay, it was just a runaway. I mean, the Bears did beat them pretty, pretty handily, but not like a 4-0 score might indicate. Usually, there were a lot of really close matches, and, and really up and down the courts, you know, even the courts that finished were really fun matches. I got a chance to see a little bit of everybody, guys, and the doubles point was super fun. I mean, there was a lot of energy, not much of a crowd. I mean, there really wasn't much of a crowd there, but everybody that was there was trying to make noise. The teams were getting into it. I was trying to get into it. Um, so I think really from both teams, Baylor and Michigan, they were super fired up to play, and it was, it was a fun match. But I'll tell you what, guys. I mean, I was... I was impressed with Michigan. You know, they were about what I thought. I mean, they are a very good team, and they're going to beat a lot of people this year. Baylor is going to be really good. I mean, they they really are. I you, you We didn't know, right? We hadn't seen these guys line up and take the court together. They were pretty impressive, and, and maybe even slightly higher than what my expectations were, and I had pretty big expectations. But for their first true test on the road against a very good Michigan team, they passed it easily. So expectations is a good place to start. And by the way, I appreciate that little nugget. 
it did feel like you could feel the energy in the Varsity Tennis Center, and there's something to the way it's built where those stands are right on top of the courts, but despite there not really being a crowd, whenever there's a Michigan match, given how loud the Michigan team is, there's an energy, there is a feeling you have college tennis back in your life, and Look, we expected this doubles point to be a battle in, you know, Michigan with Johnston, Styler, Fenty, Seymour. You've got two top 30 teams in the country. Obviously, Baylor's got three teams that would be playing number one doubles for any other school out there. And we knew doubles was going to be exciting. I'll get back to you in a second, Maddie. Chris, you know, again, we were penciled in on it, that number three position, that number two position. Uh, number three, did, it, it was a late break for, uh, excuse me, the Bears, I believe, at number three, if memory serves me correct. I think they were leading at number two for most of the time. But just in general, your thoughts on the lineup we saw for the Bears in doubles, your thoughts on their performance here to snag the point again on the road from a really good Michigan doubles team. Yeah, we. I mean, we knew Baylor one through three was stacked no matter what order you put them in. I mean, it's three great teams, uh, you know, and, you know, like Coach Woodson said, anybody, you know, half the teams don't even play their best team at one. You could put those guys, I don't care what order you put them in. Uh, you know, you, you let Adam Steinberg pick the order you put them in. I don't think Woodson cares. They got three great teams. Uh, the question was really going to be, how did, you know, how did Michigan stack up? We know Fenty Seymour are great. We know Johnston Styler are good. You know, how's it going to be at three? And yeah, I mean, Michigan hung right there with them. It was a very, very entertaining uh, doubles point, but one that frankly, uh, you know, from just from a match competitive standpoint, much like I said in the you know UCLA USC match, I kind of wanted to see Michigan take it because I thought that if Baylor got it, uh, it was going to be a very very difficult match for Michigan to try to stay in. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, as you pointed out, it's the depth for Baylor. Win at the number two position, you get Adrian Boyten and Nick Stokowiak. That's money. You get Charlie Broom and, and Matthias Soto who won a Futures together at three. That's money. And so uh, they were really good. Now, it does feel worth noting, Fenty and Seymour, pretty comfortable victory, Maddie, over La and Franson. And look, you were there in person. So the score lines seem pretty straightforward. It did feel like, though, on all three courts, you had a really high level of play. Dare I say, the only vulnerable weapon on the court felt like Connor Johnston's serve. It felt like that was the only attackable serve of any player on in these three matchups. Yeah, that that's a good point, Gruskin. And again, Connor Connor's very very good at doubles as well. Um, you know, even minus the serve, fantastic hands and everything like that. Still, really good player. But I do have yeah. to say, I I believe that Fenty and Seymour might be the number one team in the country. I really do, especially indoors. I mean, they were phenomenal. The way that they played against Sven Lon, Connie Franson, who are also a top 10 team, you know, arguably top five team in the country. They were so good that, I, I mean, I, right now, I would probably take Fenty and Seymour over anybody in the country. That includes Riley Smith, Daniel Kukerman. That includes Will Blumberg, Brian Cernock. These guys are tremendous, and they're going to win so many matches. Unfortunately for for uh, Michigan, two and three just weren't. I mean, not quite as strong. And Baylor's so good at all three spots that that's that's how it ended up. But number one doubles position for Michigan is going to be a lock all year long. And I think that's the takeaway for Michigan. Again, expectations-wise, did Johnston, Styler, Beattie, Maloney get the wins today? No, but they were right there with Baylor at the 2-3 and three position. And when you do have Fenty and Seymour at 1, Baylor is 
if not the best doubles team in the country, in the top three, right there with right the USC's and the UNC's of the world. And, you know, Michigan play them essentially even. But back to Chris's point, the fact that Baylor was able to go up 1-0 and then, you know, transition to singles where they, I believe, take all six first sets. I mean... Okay, that's not a pretty number if you are a Michigan Wolverine fan, but let's get back to that word of expectation. The reason you guys were lower on Michigan than I was, I believed in the depth of this lineup. I thought Maloney was going to play four singles, and I thought he was going to be a legitimate option at four singles. I thought Beattie was going to stay the course at five, and then I thought Jacob Bickerstaff was going to be a real option for the Wolverines at six, and Chris and I talked about this quite a bit on the broadcast. He was upset because it turns out one of my predictions actually became accurate. Maddie, again, you were on the ground there. I'm imagining you watched quite a bit of that Patrick Maloney, Nick Stokowiak, uh, Stokowiak match, but then also I know on that bank of courts, Bickerstaff Furman was two down. Your thoughts on the depth of the Wolverines, because my expectations for Baylor was that they were going to be really f- good, and they were really, really good. Um, I'll only swear the one time, but I did not expect Michigan to be able to fight at the bottom of the lineup the way they did in 5-4 and four for Spencer Furman and 7-6-6-7 seven, six, six, seven for Beattie and Broom and Maloney the way he played Nick. They were really imp- – like, if this is the depth for the Wolverines, they become – it's time to take them a little more seriously as an actual top 10 team, in my opinion, in your in Chris's perspective. Yeah, I mean, they, they were impressive. I mean, we knew the top three for Michigan is is very good, but the question always came with the depth. And I questioned it. I, I definitely did, guys. They were impressive. Still, for me, what I noticed, though, the style of play, right? Pat Maloney, Nick Beattie, I still, if we get outdoors, I, I think it could be a little bit tougher. I think indoors, they're going to be fine. I mean, the way that these guys play, you can just tell their games are so suited for indoor tennis, and they will win a lot. Like, my concerns about their depth, at least during the indoor portion of the season, are pretty much gone. I think they can hang with almost anybody with the depth. Now, when we go outdoors, though, right, and there's elements. We have sun. We have wind. They have to change up their style of play a little bit. That's where I think it it could be a little bit tougher, but Maloney played great. I mean, Nick won that first set, was playing pretty well, and he didn't go anywhere. He actually was able to take Nick out of his game a little bit and just said, hey, man, I'm going to impose myself here. And Pat Maloney started to play really well. Nick Beattie was great all day, singles, doubles. And Jacob Bickerstaff, this is a guy that I hadn't really seen before. It was funny because on court sticks – Spencer Furman has such a similar game to Jacob Bickerstaff. It, it was like two mm-hmm. identical guys. I was watching. I'm like, man, which one's Spencer? Which one's Bickerstaff? Like back and forth, same type of game, which was fun to watch. The difference is Spencer Furman's a fifth-year senior and Bickerstaff is a freshman who had just started playing, right? So in that matchup, I'm going to take Furman all day long, and I think that's a huge advantage for Baylor. But I think you guys may have something in Bickerstaff if he can stay at that lower part of the lineup, five, six singles, he can win some matches. I liked what I saw out of him, no doubt. This 
this is what I said. So a couple of things to follow up, and then, Chris, I promise I'll let you back into this podcast. A, I made this exact joke on our Red Zone coverage. I said, Jacob Bickerstaff looks across the net at Spencer Furman, and it's the Spider-Man meme, only Furman's got a little bit more facial hair, right? He's like, wait, is that me in three years? Like, oh, my God. And if Michigan still has Jacob Bickerstaff playing in the bottom of the lineup three years from now, then yes, I agree. This Michigan team could be a national championship contender, and he's got the sort of game style where it would be. I think he translates well outside. I think with the yes. elements he will battle. And you know, you know, he was serving four five in that for or five six in that first set, four five in that second set, got the break back down three five in that second set. Just a couple of freshman lapses in some end of set service games, and that happens. But if you're a Michigan fan, you're ecstatic. I actually you know, it's hard to be excited about a four oh loss, and you're never ecstatic, but you look at the four oh loss and you think, okay. We have room to get better, and we actually played this Baylor team really tough. A couple of deuce points go our way. It, you know, if we win the doubles point, yeah, it's 3-1, and they're still in a commanding position, but Fenty's up a break. Maloney's up a break. You probably still think Broom knocks off Beatty, but Michigan was right there, and I mean, Chris, you're shaking your head at us. We're not going to spend an entire hour on this match. I promise we're going to get to the other regions, so Chris, I'll give you the final word on this Michigan-Baylor match. Well, first, no, the only part I was shaking my head at is the part that Maddie said he could watch that match all day. I wanted to watch none of it. Two guys showed up with a gun fight with a pair of knives. That's all that match on court six was. I mean, I, please, I, I didn't want to see another set of that. The rest of the matches, yes, by, by all means. Uh, I, I wanted to see more of that, especially that BD Broom match. Uh, I wanted to see a lot more of that. But no, my, my takeaway, honestly, was... I got almost exactly the opposite of what I expected to see from Baylor in singles. I expected, man, I think they could be vulnerable at the top, and I think they're just going to kill them at the bottom. And they kind of looked vulnerable at the bottom and pretty good at the top. Um, I mean, it was it was it definitely wasn't the way I expected it to go down, for sure. I, I thought that depth was going to be too much. So I think that's, you know, and time will tell. Was that a really good sign for Michigan and not so great sign for Baylor? Time will tell, but I, I think, you know, maybe a little of both uh, and, and they're just getting into the season. But yeah, I think it's good for the, for that Michigan depth. Uh, I'm with Maddie. Yeah, I think, I think Vickerstead's going to be a great outdoor guy as compared to where Beattie's certainly going to be a better indoor guy. Right. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I saw from Michigan. We knew Baylor was really good. No opinions changed there. They're still really good. Uh, and and Michigan showed that uh, that yeah they're they're close they're just they're not there but they're close. Yeah, I think Styler didn't have a good day, and they needed him to have a great day if they're going to pull off this Ooh. upset. I also False. think. False. Ooh, okay. Let me let me chime in here, Gruskin, quickly. I watched the entire match. He was right next to my brother. Andre Styler actually played very well. Matias Soto was out of his mind. That was going to be my other thing. Is he played him and Adrian? Adrian could have won that match against Fenty two and two if a couple things go differently. Yes, exactly. I I took nothing away from. I looked at Andre Styler and said, "Oh my goodness, this guy's going to beat almost everybody this year." I was impressed with Andre Styler. I loved what I saw. I had never seen Matias Soto play that way. I think something, I mean, he drank something, he ate something. He was <laughs> on another level. It was actually stupid. I mean, it was a pleasure to watch those guys strike the ball. 
four and five or whatever the score was straight sets. But honestly, I'm not worried about Styler playing that way. He would have beaten almost anybody else. Matias was out of his mind. He deserves a ton of credit for the way he played. Should have said was good. They needed him to be great. They needed him to be great on the day. Just pull everything out. But yeah, Soto was great. Boitan, oh, he's. He might he probably should be playing one. I mean, he was he was really really good for the Bears. But again, that's 30 minutes on one match. We apologize for that. That will not be the case moving forward. We did have one other match in Ann Arbor. We got to see A&M play. They were up big at the one and three doubles positions. One doubles for them blows that lead against Pepperdine. It ends up getting a 7-6 decision at number two uh, doubles, and then they get wins, I believe, I want to say from Habib, from Aguilar, and then from Schachter in the end to get them over the hump 4-0 over Pepperdine. Start with you, Chris. Your thoughts on the Aggies' opening weekend performance. Yeah, definitely. Five love leads on one and three, and next thing you know, five love is five all on, on court one. You can't do that. Uh, so the, and as, as we, we already know, you know, self-admittedly, according to coach Denton, they're not a good indoor team, never have been. So, you know, you get a 5-0 lead and you're, you got a quick, easy doubles point and all of a sudden you make it tough. That's not the way you want to start. Uh, but, uh, you know, they look good. They, they still played some competitive matches, uh, with, with the Pepperdine guys, but a match we expected them to win. They did their job. They won the match, uh, just made it all, you know made it to got it to the point where we really wanted to see that AM Baylor match. But yeah, they 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 did their job. Not not super, super impressive, but I don't I honestly I didn't expect them indoors to be super, super impressive. I you know, I we kind of got out of them what I thought we'd see. Mm-hmm. Maddie? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment as well. I mean I wasn't like, you know, super impressed, just like Chris said. I mean they got the job done you know, in relatively convincing fashion. What I didn't like were those double sets, really, to to be up huge leads like that and then kind of let that go, especially on court one. Um, You know, that's not something that you want to see. But again, they were playing a shorthanded Pepperdine team. Did they take their foot off the gas a little bit? Probably so. And and that's understandable. I think once they start to play some higher ranked teams and that competition ramps up, um, these guys will be ready to go. You know, I, I liked what I saw. The only thing that may be slightly concerning, just five and six, they did drop sets down on court five and six. So the depth there, you know, again, and when we talked about A&M on our college contender series, we knew one through three, no problem there. Noah Schachter at number four, very good. What were they going to get out of five and six? So I think that still remains to be seen, but we'll figure that out as we go through the season. You nailed it, Maddie. The fact that they lost sets at five, sets at five and six, it just confirms a slight vulnerability. And if you're an AM fag, fan, you don't love to see that uh, this early in the season. But yeah, there's a little bit of a sleep at the wheel to this A&M team, particularly after they've built those huge leads in doubles. Yeah, not, not only were they losses of sets at five and six, right? Their losses at sets of sets at five and six to guys that are really the seven and eight for Pepperdine yeah. because they were missing two guys. And Pepperdine, while albeit a good team, is not Texas A&M. So a team that's not quite your caliber you're dropping sets to guys a couple spots down. Not a great sign. But what it does say is that's really promising for Pepperdine. You know, give those guys some credit. I mean, they brought two guys up to play, you know, top caliber competition and they were battling. But yeah, I think for, you know, so good for Pepperdine and 
and from from A and M, yeah, definitely a concern in, in the five and six spots. Only undefeated team of the 2020 season suffers their first loss in their first match of 2021. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. But no, uh, it was, a, again, a really fun region of play in Ann Arbor. 30 minutes into this podcast, gentlemen, and we haven't talked about the upset of the weekend. We're going to do that right now as we had ourselves a result in Columbus. Gentlemen, you know I've been waiting to say this for about three years. The Who's are back as they go to Columbus, knock off Iowa 4-0, and then knock off the host Ohio State Buckeyes in an upset none of us saw coming, 4-2. Maddie, I know Chris's thoughts on this match already, and I want to hear them again, but I want to go to you first. Virginia, winners over the Buckeyes in Columbus, your thoughts. Yeah, and and you know, thanks to you guys for for streaming it. You know, it was fun to listen to the commentary all the way through, and of course, Westoff was killing it back there, uh, drinking his Red Bulls. But um, no, I for me, I just I have to tip my cap, right? I, I have to tip my hat here and just and say, hey, Virginia, you guys did it, man, and you did it with freshmen, like. That's the most impressive thing to me is guys that just don't have any experience, right? In college tennis, they go into Columbus where Ohio State never loses. You guys know, I say this all the time. I don't ever pick against Ohio State in Columbus. I never do it. I just was thoroughly impressed really with primarily the freshmen. I mean, you know, Gianni Ross, yeah, Ryan Getz, we've seen them. Carl Soderlin, we know what he's about. For me... I just wanted to see the freshmen, and they delivered. So, I mean, if these guys can keep up this level of play, yeah, I mean, they're going to compete with anybody in the country. So, hats off to them. They absolutely earned their spot. And guess what? Ohio State, if you guys were not prepared for this, you know, shame on you, right? I mean, you cannot roll into a match against a UVA team, you know, albeit with them starting three freshmen, You've got to be prepared for the match. And, and again, guys like Kyle Seelig, did he look fully prepared? I don't think so. I don't think he did. So I don't know if that's on Ty Tucker. I don't know if that's on the players. But to me, it didn't look like they were prepared. And Virginia took full advantage. It was a pleasure to watch. Yeah, and... You know, it's very easy to rag on the Buckeyes, right? You lose to a young Virginia team at home. What's wrong with the Buckeyes? Let's have a crisis counseling moment. Let's give the diagnosis. Sometimes you just come across a better team, and it's crazy to say, but Virginia was the better team from start to finish in that match. And Chris, we talked about this on the broadcast throughout. The freshmen for them, in particular, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg and Yaki Montez, 2-0 in doubles, 2-0 and in singles on the weekend. They looked like they were playing a different sport than Iowa in the first match. Took care of business so easily. And then, just in that second match, they win that doubles point. So they have momentum on their side. And by the way, Chris Rodash, six foot eight, seemed to grow an inch every time we kept coming back to him. Uh, for him to hold there with Getz uh, to earn that doubles point at two doubles over Trotter and Boulay. And then for the three first sets that, the, uh, that Virginia puts on the board are from 
von der Schulenberg, Montez, and Rotesh at the 3-4-5 singles position. It's your freshman going to Columbus and earning you this sort of victory. It's almost as if they weren't aware, Chris, of the mystique of Columbus, that because they were freshmen, they were naive to think, oh yeah, we could go to Columbus and win. And that's exactly what they did. That's the takeaway. We'll talk about Ohio State in, in a second. But these Virginia freshmen, who are highly touted, are even better than we expected. Assuming they keep this up. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, to, like you said, b- between Von der Schulenberg and Montez, super, super impressive. And look, I, I made this comment on uh, on the broadcast. I actually watched the Montez match, a good deal of it, against Liberty because it was the only match they had a chance to lose. They won 7-0, but Montez was down 4-love in the third to Rafa Marquez from Liberty and came back to win from 4-love in the third. But, you know, in watching that, I didn't see in that match, you know, to go down 4-love in the third against against Rafa, I didn't see him coming and beating Kyle Sealing 2-3. and three. I mean, that was just... That was an unbelievable performance uh, from him. And, and von der Schulenberg, we knew, was good. Uh, and he showed it. I mean, he he backed up all of the hype that was behind him coming in. And then they got what they had, what we thought they had to have. And that was Gianni Ross was going to have to step up and win that match at number six for them to be to have that shot. You know, I had said, I thought Gianni, von der Schulenberg, and probably Soderlund, because I didn't expect to see what I got, what we got from Montez. And Soderlund still may have done it. It could have been 5-2. But yes, th- those guys were great. Uh, and, and like you said, they absolutely, from start to finish, they were the better team. It was it was never, oh, some, they got a break. They got the momentum going their way. No, it was with them the entire time. They never took their foot off the gas, and, and they just put it to them. Yeah, I mean— I, and Ty Kwiatkowski pointed this out on the broadcast. You watch the doubles. These guys were poaching. They were playing two up. They were getting to the net. They were playing on their terms. And they were doing it in Columbus. And again, this was the match where you felt the lack of a home crowd more than anywhere else in the country. Because if you have the 1,000 people in Columbus raining fire with their words upon von der Schulenberg and Montez and Rodesh and Gianni Ross after he loses that first set to Robbie Cash and they're amping up the cannon, Cannon Kingsley and McNally puts a big point on the board for them. It's a whole different dynamic. But that's not what we had this year. Now you're playing matches purely on the merit. And on the merit, Virginia was better from start to finish. You never even saw, Maddie, that 15-minute push from the Buckeyes where you're like, okay, here it comes. And I want to give you a chance to comment on Virginia and where you think they now stand in the national conversation, particularly given the news Barbots are not going to be playing for Wake Forest this year. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you look at this Virginia team and how they competed, Maddie. Where do you see them ending up this year? Yeah, I mean, I they can be a top 10 team. I mean, they play at this level. They can plant themselves in that top 10 in the country. It's just, again, with freshmen, are they going to be able to keep it up? From my eye, it looked like these guys are gamers, right? And Chris mentioned Montez playing against Liberty. You know, again, I don't want to say playing down to your competition, but you know when guys can get amped up for a big-time match against one of the top teams in the country in Ohio State. They are gamers, and they rise to that occasion. So von der Schulenberg, Montez, Rodesh, all of them, they really all did it. They were aggressive. They played well. You know, and again, Wake Forest, 
obviously we didn't see their team at full strength and we're never going to see them at full strength with, with the Barbots or new. So yeah, it does change some things within the landscape of, you know, the ACC for me, I think if this team plays to their potential, meaning Virginia, they could finish second in the ACC. I don't think they're, I still would not put them ahead of, of North Carolina, but a chance to finish number two. Sure. Why not? When you have the luxury of playing Gianni Ross at six singles, you're doing something yep. right. And I have to say, yep. Vander Schulenberg, Montez, their games seem like they're going to translate outdoors. And we know what they have at Carl Soderlinden, number one. I honestly wouldn't shock me if Vander Schulenberg ends up at number two. We see Getz slide yep. down to number three. Montez, Rodash, Ross. They've still got Matthew Lord on the bench as well and a couple of other options to turn to. Uh, I think Alex Kiefer's the other freshman who uh, they brought in who we haven't even been talked about yet this Virginia team has talent but now we have to do the quick other side the flip side the diagnosis the uh, autopsy of what went wrong here what went wrong here for Ohio State and Chris we watched it against Middle Tennessee they came out sluggish in their first match as well and it wasn't a clean performance and then in this match just Look, Kyle Seelig's earned the benefit of the doubt, right? Because he played one bad match. That happens to everyone during the course of the season. Come May, you want Kyle Seelig on your roster. But in James Trotter and Robbie Cash and Justin Boulay, who lost a first set against Middle Tennessee, and, and Luke Chung and, you know, J.J. Mercer, the Buckeyes still have some serious lineup questions to figure out, and you've got to be thrilled about J.J. Tracy's opening weekend if you're Ty Tucker. But, Chris, I come out of this weekend with so many questions about this Ohio State team. I'm curious how you feel. Yeah, I, I mean, I still don't have a clue who's playing six. I, I don't think yeah. I don't think there's any question that the top five is still going to be the top five in some order. I mean, those guys aren't going away. Like you said, you give C-League the benefit of the doubt. J.J. Tracy played great. McNally was great. Obviously, Kingsley's not going anywhere. So now you're – so really now the only guy you're questioning is Trotter. Uh, okay, are you pulling James Trotter for Robbie Cash, for Tim Siebert, for for who? For Justin Boulay? No to all of the above. So, so he's in. So it, it's really all about six singles and about, you know, just turn, turning it around after this. And, you know – maybe they just got beat by a team that was better on that day and and they'll be fine the the problem for them right is just the fact that all they get to play now is a big 10 schedule so we don't really get to see a too terribly many you know matches like we do traditionally where they play everybody under the sun at Ohio State pre pre-conference season uh it's going to be a little tougher to get a good pulse you know, on the team and the progress based on only playing Big Ten schools. But, you know, it's a Ty Tucker team. They'll they'll turn around. They'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And just last word on this, you talk about the lack of opportunities the Buckeyes will have in their schedule this season. And I know we mentioned this on the broadcast, so I apologize to any of you listeners who hear it for the second time. I've had this conversation with a couple of coaches now, Chris, and I know you are obviously our rankings guru here. If you are a Big Ten team, Short of Illinois running the table at the National Indoors, which I think all three of us think isn't very likely to happen, 
where are the big ranked win opportunities now going to come for any Big Ten team? I mean, Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, yeah, they're all going to beat up on each other, but none of them are going to have looks at the national indoors. And, you know, all these other conferences in the Power Five are going to have the chance to play fellow top-ranked teams throughout the year. That's not going to happen for Big Ten schools. So, Chris, our final thought here in Columbus, just the Big Ten rankings implications of the Buckeyes not making the Final Eight. Yeah, I mean, A, you can only hope that, as Corey Brooks had stated, there are, you know, it's not just formula-based this year because that's not going to be beneficial to the Big Ten uh, given the regional play. And the ITA is looking at other things because of factors like that, not just for the Big Ten, but for other schools, West Coast schools that can't get, you know, more than whatever, 350 miles away maybe, et cetera. But, uh, but yeah, that's they're going to have to hope for something like that. But yeah, there's, there are just very few uh, opportunities for them to, to beat anybody. I mean, sure. It's okay. It's still not terrible for <clears throat> the Northwesterns who looked good this weekend, actually for the IUs for the, the middle ground teams like that, that if they get a win over an Ohio state, over a Michigan, uh, over an Illinois, that's still going to be worth something. But for Ohio State and Michigan, it you know they have no opportunity other than beating each other, and it's not great. So it's not going to help them much. Maddie, I'll give you the final word on everything from Columbus. Yeah, the Buckeyes just need to use this as a wake-up call, guys. They really do. I mean, they came and got punched in the mouth, and they didn't respond. Virginia was hungrier. They wanted that match, and they took it from them. They played better. They were the better team. If you're Ty Tucker in Ohio State, you're still very good, right? These guys are going to be a problem come postseason time. There's too much talent there to just write them off altogether, okay? So that's not what's happening here. They're still very dangerous, but they have to just write the ship. I mean, I wasn't impressed with their doubles. Usually we talk about Ohio State as one of the dominant doubles teams in the entire country. And I just – I didn't love what I saw out of them – against Middle Tennessee or against Virginia within the doubles. So they need to go back and correct that. And then some of these guys just have to step up. And, you know, you can't just walk on the court in Columbus at the Ty Tucker Tennis Center and just say, hey, yep, we're going to win because we're the Buckeyes. We're at home and we always win. That wasn't the case this time. So I just I hope they use it as a bit of a wake up call and, and they can, you know, they can get on the right track. I'm not too worried about them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good synopsis of where they are at. Well, then with that in mind, let's move on to our last, I'll say, shocking result of the weekend. And I think it's safe to say, is shocking a stretch? 
Maybe because I think we all thought this was possible, but none of us predicted that in Austin, Texas would hold court and knock off Florida in the ITA kickoff region. But that's exactly what the Longhorns did. Second season in a row to start the year, the Longhorns drop a doubles point to uh, to the Gators, but ultimately end up beating them, getting wins at the top two singles position. This year, Texas knocks off Florida 4-3. They lose the doubles point, but get victories from Waldeeb and Spaziri up top, Harper and Chi-Chi Huang at the 4-5 and five singles position. Chris, you're our SEC correspondent. Again, a perplexing start to a Florida season. Your reaction to the result in Austin? I mean, a little similar to my reaction to Ohio State, right? I mean, I expected more. Uh, I didn't see them losing to Texas. Really, I would have given Texas maybe a slightly better chance than Virginia of, you know, beating Ohio State, you know, uh, then, but not much. I, I didn't, I definitely didn't see that coming. And, uh, and yeah, I'm concerned, you know, everybody wanted, everybody being, you know, a, a fair number of people, including even some of us, right, wanted to say, hey, how are you playing Valle at one and Riffis at two? And I kind of said, you know, it, it may be legit because Riffis has, didn't have a great fall. It wasn't great coming into the spring. And, uh, you know, I'll be darned if it didn't come down to him at a in a three-all match with a full third set to play, and he got worked by Spaziri 6-3. I mean, so you, you had what we the guy out there that we thought was the best player. He's the guy you want out there if it's a third set, and he got beat. So hats off to Texas. They they won. They did their, they did what they had to do. And yeah, a little disappointing if you're if you're a Florida fan for sure. But I mean, super encouraging if you're a Texas fan coming into the season. We lost Sigsgard. We lost Ito. Yeah, I know we got three really good young guys at the top and a freshman and two sophomores or whatever you want to call them, freshman and redshirt freshman or whatever. But uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, very encouraging for them. Little disappointing for Florida, but much like the Ohio State deal, right? It's Florida. They're not going anywhere. They got plenty of talent. They'll be there come May. I don't know about – no, of course they will be there come May. And look, much like it's easy to say what went wrong for Florida, we should be talking about what went right for Texas, Maddie. We underrated the depth of this team. I mean, for them to have Harper and Huang and McDonald and, you know, Bullard and all these different options they can turn to at the bottom of their lineup and then, you know, the top three of Waldeep, Spaziri, and Broswell. Here's the thing. Waldeep, Spaziri, Broswell, all in their first two years or fewer, right, of playing college tennis. And so I think our consensus was this team's probably still two, maybe three years away from really being uh, a national championship contender. And I'm not saying this weekend's results change any of that, but I do think we underrated the depth of this Texas team who— I mean, two and two win for Harper over Englandson, four and six for Huang over Shelton. Shelton was up five two in that second set. Huang was able to overcome it. Five and five for Waldeep over Valet. Uh, they they took it to the Gators. Yeah, they did. But when I look at this, I still look at Florida, and I'm disappointed. Yeah. That that's how I feel about it. I'm not going to lie, guys. I mean, Texas. Gruskin, you said, did we underrate them maybe a little bit? Sure, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. We we might, I, I'm with you there. But at the same time, man, I just, 
I look at Sam Riffis, and and this is a guy that I just uh, I I have such high expectations because I've seen him at his peak. Let me just jump in there. If you're Coach Ben, uh, Coach Ben Shelton, if you're Coach Brian Shelton, and I tell you, hey, your match against Texas is going to come down to Riffis versus Baziri in a third set, you sign up for that every. time. And that is where I could not agree with you more, Maddie. I can't believe Riffis lost the match. I I can't either. I, I, I can't. I, I agree. I mean, I was speechless. I mean, that is the guy that you want in that situation. And, and Chris had been saying this all along that, you know, he hasn't been playing that good in the fall. And maybe there's a reason that they moved him down to two. But God, Sam, I mean, number two, you're the team captain. You're the leader here. Like, this was a match to just step up, go out and win it, and go to indoors. I thought he was going to do it. I just, it is a little bit disappointing for me. And you look at a guy like, you know, Johannes Ingoldson, who's been in college, what, six years now or something like that? I mean, two and two? Really? Like, is that the best effort that you've got? I know Ben Shelton's young, you know, as a very inexperienced freshman. So him losing to Chi-Chi, okay. You know, I can see that. Four and six, tight match. But come on, guys. Riffis, Ingoldson, doubles. I mean, really? Six? To, uh, well, no, they won, they won doubles. They won doubles. So I'll give them that. They, they've turned that around just a little bit. But... God, to drop four singles matches, I just, I don't like it. It doesn't bode well. And you'd give them the benefit of the doubt, Chris, but I'd rather focus on Florida here more than we did Ohio State because it's not like they were particularly good against Arizona either. They dropped the doubles point against Arizona. Vale playing the number 50 player in the country in Zeverts, but they're in a third set. Johannes Inglidson, three sets for him over Malbasic. Now, they were good. They got good results from Shelton Bicknell, but, you know, Andrade got blitzed in that first match. He was able to come back and play a really good match against Texas. Riffis played great against Arizona, he did not play. Oh, he played fine against Spaziri, but like, it's the inconsistencies, Chris. It's just, and that's been a theme for this Florida roster. Feels like they always get off to a shaky start, and then it feels like there's always that one weird match come May as well over these past few seasons. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It wasn't. It, it wasn't outstanding against Arizona. It, it obviously wasn't outstanding. Uh, against Texas, but I, I Or think South Florida either, for the record. It wasn't outstanding against them either. Yeah, I mean, they, they won all their singles matches, but not doubles again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, not not great. I, I think it's one of those that they're just going to take some time to get into the year. I mean, they've got the talent that, uh, with you know, between Shelton and Stump, uh, and Scotty Perlman coaching and the talent they've got, they'll get it figured out. They're they're just clearly not there right now. I mean, they don't know uh, either the guys aren't ready or they're not, you know, not 100% on who it is that's going to be playing or who, what those doubles pairings are. I don't know. They're just not there yet. I don't. I have no doubt they'll be there, you know, by midway through the SEC season and heading into the NCAAs. But no, right now, they're just not there. They're, they're not a top 10 team right now. Let me just Which say is this. surprising given the veterans, but go ahead, Maddie. Food for thought, guys. I'm telling you right now, take this to the bank. Lucas Greif does not lose to either Cleve Harper or Chi Chi Wang. I'm just telling you right now, those are two losses at four and five that Florida suffered. You insert Lucas Greif at either of those positions, he wins the match. 
I'm telling you. I said this on the broadcast. This podcast moving forward will be a play Lucas Greif petition podcast. That's all we're going to be. We're going to be a one-issue advocacy show. It's to get Lucas Greif in that lineup. But the thing is, Bicknell went 2-0, and right? Shelton— I didn't say yeah, he. No, I'm saying, yeah, Shelton lost that match, that second match at 5, but he's up 5-2 in that second set. And much like I said for Jacob Bickerstaff to stay intellectually consistent, he's a freshman. You're allowed to blow a 5-2 lead in a second set as a freshman. But I, I just, there's got to be a place for Lucas Greif in this lineup. Like, I agree with you. And I think Inglitson's really, really good too, but so is Lucas Greif. Get the man in the lineup. Yep. I, I don't think, I don't, well... I was going to say, I don't think your concerns will go unheard, but but I'm wrong. Your concerns will go unheard, but it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. so, it's true. So when it does happen, we will we will be certain to text uh, the, the coaches, just all caps and exclamation points, Lucas Greif, after the first yeah. match he plays and wins. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. And I do have one more quick question about this region, Chris, because Gustav Storm, he looks pretty good. One of the top coming freshmen this weekend. And you look at this Arizona lineup. I feel like they've got a sneaky amount of ranked players, Chris. I feel like, are they going to be a top 16 team? Probably not. But if I told you they, I don't know, they beat uh, UCLA, they beat a Cal this year. Is that going to surprise you? Beat UCLA? Maybe. Beat Cal? No, that's not going to surprise me. Yeah, and, and I don't think – and Strom's not their number three guy. I don't think that at yeah. all, but but he's a freshman. You get the luxury of playing the freshman down a little when they come in because you haven't seen them in college. Uh, I think he'll quickly work – excuse me, work his way up. Or, or they really like playing him at three as a little mini stack and get to keep it there. You know, it just depends on how well – Say say Zeverts does at the at the top of the lineup, right? Uh, Zeverts and Reguant. If they hold up, and you and you know put up really good records, maybe you get to keep them there. But but no, I'm not going to be surprised if they pull off some some really good wins. And yeah, on any given day, could they jump up and beat a UCLA? It's possible. I mean, that could happen. Uh, and and th- I mean, that's the kind of team they got. But yeah, they're uh you know top sixteen, no, but in that you know battling to be steady in the between 20 and 30 absolutely maddie i see you shaking your head i know you'll shake your head at this comment too gusoff strom can play three and two over andy andrade that's a very nice win for the freshman yeah no question super impressive their whole team i i think they're a very sneaky team i know baylor has a match scheduled uh with arizona for later this year this is a team guys that if again if you don't show up if you take them lightly they will show up ready to play and beat you. So, yeah, I think there's absolute upset alert potential for a lot of teams that are going to be on Arizona's schedule. Mm-hmm. And again, it was a really fun region of play in Austin. Even the Liberty Flames, Chris, did not come empty hand, uh, did not leave the region empty handed. They did win a flight. And it's always great to leave a region without getting goose-egged. And so for them, uh, you take some momentum for the Flames. You head into the rest of this 2021 season. Shout out to them for filling that fourth spot, for ensuring that we had a full set of teams for the National Kickoff Weekend. With that in mind, let's switch gears to Raleigh. And, you know... 
Technically, did the host team win? No, so I suppose it's an upset. But in the Tennessee team, we got, we saw advance, uh, Maddie. We saw 4-2 victory for them over Ole Miss in their first match. 4-1 victory for them to advance to the final eight over host NC State. Chris and I had this conversation a couple of times on the broadcast. want to hear you chime in with what you saw from the Volunteers this weekend, given the fact that they were also 14-2 and last year. Their only loss is coming to Columbia indoors, 4-3 on the road at Georgia. Are you ready to include Tennessee in the conversation of Texas A&M, Georgia, and of course Florida amongst the SEC contenders in 2021? Yeah, I mean, I, de- I, I think they're up there. I, I do. I was I was pretty impressed with what I saw. You know, what I want to see out of the Vols is doubles, right? They dropped that doubles point to Ole Miss, and Ole Miss is a very good doubles team, so that's not totally worrisome. But even going back to last year, I just remember some matches where, you know, historically, right, guys, Tennessee's been a very, very good doubles team. I mean, you go back to like Hunter Reese and, and Labidis, and you had guys like Luis Valero and Timo Stotter and all of these guys. Over the last couple of years, I feel like their doubles has slipped just a little bit. But they're deep in singles. I mean, I like their lineup. Really, I do one through six. The freshman Monday at number two, you know, is he going to be able to hang with some of those teams like Florida, like Georgia? If you're playing a Sam Riffis or you're playing, you know, a Trent Bride or a Phil Henning um, or at A&M, a, a Habib or a Vashiro, that I don't know because he is just a freshman. But the depth of their lineup is solid. And I, I do like this Tennessee team. I think we have to put them up there with those other three teams. Would I put them ahead? Probably not. I'm not going to put them above those teams, but they are inching. They are up there. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I'd say they're good, not great at doubles. I'd say Walton, good, not great at the number one singles position. Monday, a lot of potential that does the young freshman have at number two. Wiedemann at five is a joke. That's a matchup that you're going to win 99% of dual matches. Chris, you're our SEC correspondent. Your thoughts on where Tennessee fits in that SEC ecosystem and then ultimately their victories in Raleigh this weekend to advance to the national indoors. Yeah, they're right there. I mean, there, there's no doubt. With what we saw this weekend, uh, I think, and I'm not looking at my rankings, I, I have to have them in front of Florida right now. Uh, I mean, I have to have had to have dropped Florida below them. Um, I think, uh, you know, now Georgia A&M, that's, it's really close. I'd put them just below them, but I think they're, they are right there with them. The one thing I want to see, and like Maddie said, great depth. What we didn't even see this weekend is the guy that I want to see play in six, and that's Pat Harper. They go out with with they go out with Rogie one day, Andrew Rogers the first day, and then they put in uh, Mark Walner uh, against NC State the second day. And Pat Harper, Pat Harper had a great offseason, and that's a guy that I want to see some playing time from. So so even more that we haven't even seen yet. Echo Maddie's comments on on the Dubs, tremendously talented doubles teams in the past and slide and you just feel like not quite the usually you go and play Tennessee and you're like oh my gosh Tennessee dubs are crazy good now they're good not crazy good uh and so so yeah that that's going to be you know a little more questionable against some of those top teams but that the lineup is is tremendous what we saw from Monday is great 
I don't love a Monday versus Riffis matchup, honestly, if I'm Tennessee, because the guys that, you know, Monday's not a hit the cover off the ball kind of guy, kind of guy. And the guys that I think that give Riffis trouble are the guys that hit the pace. Uh, I don't think you're going to rally all day with Riffis. He's going to eventually, you know, take it to you unless he's having an off day. But I love watching, I love watching Monday play. He's going to win. I, you know, He's probably going to win eighty percent of his matches at the two spot, and even in the SEC. Mm-hmm. I think if Prada plays the way he played in Raleigh this weekend, Chris, this Tennessee team, they're going to be really, really good. Because again, they're one of those teams that has multiple pathways to four points. They're competitive at every flight, and I mean, the way they took it to NC State, Chris, after they won that doubles point, it just felt like. It was kind of like, okay, we're winning this match. Like, you guys know our depth is too good. Yeah, we may lose to Alexi at one, but we have chances to win at each and every other flight. And just the way they responded, Maddie, to dropping, you know, against Old Miss in their first match, they lose two seven six sets at the one and three position to lose the doubles point. And you can let a loss like that, that big of a momentum shift get to you, but they didn't. They came out and won. I think three first sets on those other courts. And, you know, as Chris mentioned, they've got a couple of different options at the bottom of the lineup. I really hope we get to see some Koi Simon because, again, a guy with two forehands. Hello, you hit the lefty and righty forehand. I'm going to watch you play and enjoy myself. Uh, But, Maddie, again, your thoughts on this Tennessee team, their results from the weekend, and then also uh, your thoughts on some of the other teams, NC State, Alabama, Ole Miss, how they competed. Yeah, and you guys will remember that I I went out and picked NC State to win this region. I was wrong there. Gruskin, we were both in the same boat. Um, But we also said we knew that, and I was telling you guys, I was like, okay, thinking with my head here, Tennessee probably is the logical pick. Like, it wasn't a shock to me whatsoever that they did win that match against NC State. I think for NC State... What I was a little bit most concerned with were those number two and three positions. Like a guy like Tadas Babelis, and you guys were cracking me up, by the way, calling him Babelis, you know, on the stream. That I was I was <laughs> laughing the whole time. But anyway, a guy that had played two last year, Tadas Babelis, I mean, he slid down to three, and I was really expecting him to kind of put up I don't want to say super quick points, but at least come out with a victory for NC State if he's playing that number three position. And he wasn't able to do that. He lost both of his matches. That's a bit concerning to me because I I didn't already love the Wolfpack's depth like at five and six. I, I was a little bit concerned about that. But the fact that I didn't love what I saw out of Tadas and East Kierdo, it doesn't bode well, guys. Alexi's going to do what Alexi's going to do, and he's going to win just about every single match that he plays. And I think they will be able to win a lot of doubles points. But after that, I don't know where you look. So I'm slightly concerned about the Wolfpack. I didn't love their performance in either match. Alabama, I just think... They've got a bunch of guys that you could throw out really in any order. I mean, you look at Patrick Cacavalta and you've got Zhao and you've got Ortiz and you've got Roberto and like all of these guys just mix and match. Like to me, it's just a hodgepodge of players that are solid, but I don't love them and I don't really even know what order to put them in. I just think Alabama is going to struggle a little bit against any of the mid to upper tier teams within the SEC. And for Ole Miss, I think they can hang their hat on dubs 
And, you know, look at a guy like Tim Sandcolin, who I thought played okay throughout the weekend. Um, he can win matches. You know, a, a guy like Finn Reynolds, who's experienced, maybe at number two, is playing a little bit higher than he really should. Like, I would love to see Finn Reynolds playing like four or five for a team. But he's going to win some matches at number two. Again, it's just the depth, right, of Ole Miss that concerns me a little bit. Um, but I would prefer Ole Miss for Alabama. I think they're much better in doubles, and I think a guy like San Collin and, and Reynolds up at the top gives them a slight edge there. Mm-hmm. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I like that Ole Miss team when you look at the fact that you've got that dubs was really good. Uh, I think I think Cadenow at six, we you know, we we had talked about that on the broad looked really good. We had heard a lot of good things about him. So that's a really good spot for them. Uh, Slavic at three is is still, that's a very good spot for them as well. It's a little, but, you know, I, I'm with that. He, Finn Reynolds is great. He's going to win a lot of matches there. I'd love to see him down a little bit. Same with Sanklin, in all honesty. I mean, he's been there forever. He is their number one guy. He, it'd be better to see him at a two or a three spot uh, yeah. and have, a, you know, an absolute stud at one, uh, you know, but... It, it's still a very solid team. They are right at, you know, you, you take out those first four that we mentioned, A&M, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and then you've got a group of teams. You, you've got Ole Miss, you've got Kentucky, you've got Mississippi State. There, there's a bunch, you know, there, there's a bunch up in there of teams that it's going to be interesting to see who emerges in the leader of that group. And Ole Miss is right there in the conversation for trying to be one of those teams. What do you think <laughs> about NC State, Chris? I didn't love what I saw. I mean, I th- I'm with you, and it's what we thought. We we I mean, doubles and one, you're fine. And it was a little disconcerting that they lost even the dubs to Tennessee. But you know, I fully expected them to get the dubs and one, and still lose the match. Uh, and yeah, two and two and three, just not real strong. Uh, and th- that's going to be a theme for them, especially in the ACC. Uh, you know, other than you know, maybe playing you know, Boston College, Clemson, et cetera, you know, uh, even Duke with the way they, they did this weekend. But but yeah. outside of teams like that, it's going to be a struggle for them at, at two and three. Uh, so I think that's, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out for them. No, I think, again, for both of these teams, for Ole Miss, I was really impressed with their doubles. They're good. They're very good. They're going to win a lot of doubles points this season during SEC play. Alabama... They're deep, but they're not great anywhere, so it's going to be tough for them, I think, to beat the top SEC teams. But no, overall, if you're NC State, no need to hit the panic button. Are you disappointed that this group doesn't get to go back to the national indoors? Absolutely. To have the chance to host a kickoff region. If you're Coach Spencer, that's the ideal situation with this veteran-laced team uh, for my boy Babelis, Babelis, however you want to say it. Uh, yeah, I think he and the entire non-Galarno portion of the team need to step up because you know what you have an Alexis Galarno. You just don't want to waste it. And so, uh, obviously, look, with Virginia factoring in now, but Wake Forest dropping off a little bit, the rest of that ACC conference is wide open. And if someone can knock off UNC just once, all you have to do is be the best of the rest, right? And I'm not saying NC State's going to win the ACC, but they can still do very, very well. 
in conference play. So you don't hit the panic button yet in Raleigh. Uh, with that in mind, let's go somewhere where we might be hitting the panic button. This is going to be our last deep dive breakdown. We'll run through USC and UNC pretty quickly because I don't think we learned too much about them from the kickoff weekend. But in Fort Worth, gentlemen, we had ourselves an upset. Not necessarily an upset in the fact that host TCU advanced, but the fact that they beat Oklahoma to do it as Oklahoma knocks off uh, Wake Forest not by a score of 4-3, not by a score of 4-2, not by a score of 4-1, 4-0. The Sooners knock off the Demon Deacons. Now, it is worth noting who was there for the Demon Deacons, or who wasn't there, excuse me. No Barbotzer. We'll get to that in a second. No Henry Squire, no Italian, no Argentinian, no Taha body. But this Wake Forest team struggled from top to bottom throughout the weekend. And we'll talk about the Demon Deacons, but Chris, I'll go to you first here. Or we'll talk about the Horned Frogs, but let's talk Demon Deacons first. We learned over the past couple of days that Barbotzer will not be playing for the twenty for the Deeks during this 2021 season. We know that they will get Squire back eventually. They will get the rest of the guys back. But Sans Barbotzer, given what we saw this weekend, your thoughts on Wake Forest moving forward through the rest of 2021? Yeah, not, not good because, I mean, we, we had we joked, but we were really semi-serious that, hey, you, you could field two teams and the second team would be like a top 15 team almost, right? And And – okay, they were only missing five guys. So it wasn't like their second six. It was, you know, it was maybe, and even of those five, probably four starters, I'll say maybe. So so maybe they're playing, you know, five down as, as their lineup and and lose 4-0 to an Oklahoma team that's not top 15. That's just, it wasn't good. Um, I think I, I'm very concerned about what we saw out of Estathew. I mean, this is a guy that played three for them last year and was outstanding. Uh, and just, I mean, you know, pooped the bed, if you will, Alex. I mean, it was just not good, right? And and obviously that bumped Eduardo Nava up to one. Nava, Nava filled in well at the one spot. He was a guy that actually played well. Sid Banthia, I mean, he's going to grind all day no matter what. Yeah, I, you can put him at two, you can put him at six. It's still going to be an all-day grind match for him. Uh, and he was okay, but but the rest of that lineup, I mean, Maciag did not look great. Uh, you know, Kangu didn't look great at six. Uh, it's it was just a, a a lineup that yeah, you need you need those other guys back. And now, as you point out, Sans Botzer, they need in my mind both Tachi and Maroney to step up and be top four guys because you've got Squire. I'm going to assume that Estathiu comes around and becomes gets back to what he was last year. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he was recovering. Maybe he didn't feel well. He didn't have gas, whatever. That's, I'm hoping you know that's the case because his performance wasn't great, but we've seen what he can do. So I'm going to hang my hat on him being there. Nava looked good. Nava will be there. You need the two freshmen. You got Squire. And now you're, and if we get all of that, then we're back to just the conversation of, okay, so who's playing six? Is it Body? Is it Kungu? Is it Solomon? Is, you know, what is it Adam Ambrosi, uh, who didn't look great this weekend uh, either? So I think those are the questions, but it, it doesn't make me feel real good. I mean, bots are, 
you know, they needed those top two and then fill in after that. They could have absorbed a loss of a three through six guy. No problem. They've got 12 three through six guys. They only have two top two guys and they just lost half of them. Yeah, we had this debate on the stream as well. What do you trade for Will Blumberg? If I offered you, you know, Charlie Broom, Connie Fronson, and Sven Law, would you trade that for one Will Blumberg? If you're Baylor, you say, sure, we've got seven different guys at that four through 12 position we can fill in the spot but there's only one Will Blumberg and I think for Wake Forest yeah they've got a bunch of different guys but there's only one Barbotzer one guy who has competed for a national championship winning team and you can't fabricate what you lose when you don't have him there so Maddie your thoughts on Wake Forest and then of course your thoughts on the TCU team that did not drop a point that flexed their muscles showed off their depth and ultimately advanced to the national indoors Yeah, for for Wake, I just think, and that last point that Chris made is exactly what I was going to say, where we've always talked about the depth, right? We said Wake Forest may just be the deepest team in the country. Well, I think what we meant by that was they could have anybody come in and play five or six, right? There's a lot of guys that could fill that role. We weren't necessarily saying that everybody can play one or two. So the loss of a Barbots or just... It, it definitely stings. I mean, there's no way around it. You have to have a guy like Squire step up. Nava has to step up. I think Taha Badi has to step up. And Chris mentioned the two freshmen. Those guys are going to have to be very key, important pieces to this team if they want to get where they want to go. I just don't see any way around it. Again, I want a guy like Sid Banthia playing number six for me. He played number two. I do not love that. I don't care put him at six, all of these other guys have to fill in. Melios has to find his game. I think if the freshmen are as advertised, if Maroney and Tachi really step up and they show, hey, you know, we're on that top 10 newcomer list for a reason, they will be they will be okay. Um, they're not going to be, I, I don't think they're national championship contender without, without Barbatzer. I just, I cannot see them winning the entire thing this year. I, I don't see it happening because, again, with their doubles and everything, Botzer would have played doubles. You remove that piece. They were already not that great at doubles. So, yeah, I just, I don't like it. I think it's going to be a, a, a bit of a struggle for Wake. They're still going to be good, and they're going to beat the teams that they should beat. I just don't know if they're going to be an elite top five squad throughout the year. In fact, I'll go on the record now and just say they won't be. They're not going to be in that conversation you know, for the rest of this season for TCU, you know what guys, I don't really know how much I got out of it. I'll be honest. You know, they beat Denver, you know, the doubles point was actually relatively close there against Denver. Um, so that was something that I kind of had my eye on. Yeah. They blitzed them in singles. Okay. But it was against Denver against Oklahoma. You know, again, I, we know TCU's good, right? They're solid throughout the entire lineup. They're very talented. Um, they have good doubles teams. I just, I have to see more. I have to see them play somebody else, you know. And speaking of that, they do have a, a match scheduled with Baylor on Sunday um, in Waco this weekend. So I think if we watch that match, guys, we'll get a really good idea. If they come out and stomp Baylor in Waco, well, then we know. Oh, this team is is absolutely legit one of the top five teams in the country but if Baylor kind of does to them what they did to Michigan 
And it's kind of, you know, Baylor wins dubs. They win a few singles matches. It's a 4-0, 4-1 to Baylor. You know, then what are we thinking? So, I don't know. Let's hold off a little bit. We'll see where we're at with TCU because, for me, I didn't totally get the full impression that I wanted to with this team. I told Chris he had to promise not to do an hour-long rant on Juan Martin on today's podcast. We got to see some Juan Martin from TCU in Fort Worth, and obviously you mentioned it. They're going to play Oklahoma again, but they kind of cruised through that match, cruised all weekend long. I don't know if we learned anything new about them. Uh, to chime in on the Wake Forest thing just quickly, by the way, if Squire hits, if he makes a big sophomore jump, then we need to have a new conversation. If he's a top 10 player for Wake Forest, and none of us are projecting he's going to be, but that's what they were. You know, if you're the Demon Deacons, you were hoping for that sort of jump this season. If they get that at number one to where now they're competing against everyone at that position with the depth they have— then you do have to start thinking, okay, could this team make a quarterfinal, maybe even an NCAA semifinal? Sure, with their depth against the right sort of matchup, if it's against an Ohio State in the quarterfinals or something like that, maybe. But yeah, things get a lot more difficult when you lose Barbotzer. Chris, we haven't talked that much about the Horned Frogs yet. Curious your thoughts on them as we wrap up here, our thoughts on Fort Worth. Yeah, echo Maddie a little bit. I mean, I didn't learn a lot. What I did learn is we didn't get to see Jacob Fernley, and I don't know that we're going to soon. Uh, so, so that you know takes one guy. They're deep. Takes one guy out of the depth rotation. We did at least get to see uh, some of Jirasek and Parallax. I don't think no Parallax in singles, but that may because he did play dubs. That maybe is just a, a coach's decision thing, right? So. He just may be the odd guy out right now. I don't know. We'll see. You know, there's no doubt we see the the absolute A lineup when they play Baylor. Uh, so so we'll see what what's going on there. Uh, but yeah, I didn't I didn't learn a lot. They want they they played teams they should have beat. They beat them uh, like they should. Let's let's see what they do against Baylor. If there's poetry in the world. Baylor will beat Texas, beat Texas a and uh, beat Texas, beat TCU this weekend. Two teams who have qualified for the national indoors and then still not end up going to the national indoors. That'll just be the way 2020's residuals are bleeding in to 2021. But yeah, no, again, this TCU team, if you got to see them play last year, you know what they're capable of. They're going to fight on all six courts and it's very Tennessee-ish, but probably a little bit more talented, a little bit higher end talent. Uh, this team is going to be really good. Again, they were consensus pick for either number six or number seven in RCR coaches poll. I feel like that feels about right for this TCU team. Certainly, they look at the national indoors down, though, and think the draw has opened up a way for them to get to the semifinals. Our last two regions we're going to cover. I know we're approaching the hour and a half mark here, so we'll blow through these two pretty quickly. USC, UNC, our top two teams, the top two teams according to every poll across the country. USC drops one point all weekend long. It's the doubles point to a shorthanded UCLA team. Of course, USC was sans more bolus this weekend. UNC. See no Rinky Hijikata. They drop a flight to South Carolina. Matt Kiger, I believe, losing at the number six singles positions for them. We'll start with you, Maddie. Your thoughts on the top seeds? Yeah, they were okay. Um, you know, they did what they had to do. I think, you know, obviously for both of these teams, right? If they're going to win a national title, USC really badly needs more bullets in there, and North Carolina really needs Rinky Hijikata in there. 
Um, these are just some of those matches where they can get away with not playing their best. I didn't love what I saw lower in the lineup for North Carolina. Um, for USC, you know, should they have really dropped that doubles point to UCLA? No, they shouldn't have. But, you know, they blitz them four singles matches. Cookerman comes back and beats Keegan Smith two and one, you know, after dropping that first set. So, I think both of these teams are fine. They're they're super talented. They're going to be around for the long haul. For them, I think it just comes down to being healthy at the right time. If both of these squads are healthy going into the postseason, they have a chance to win it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary of where we are at. Chris, we talked about this a little bit on the broadcast. The doubles point the Trojans played, it was Coulter Smith, I think, and Bradley Fry at the number two position probably throw that doubles team out you imagine more bullets will be in one of those spots moving forward for the Tar Heels the vulnerabilities down at the bottom and yeah they were without Hijikata but we said that was going to be their weakness it's not a glaring weakness but certainly that's the pathway to beating them it just feels like for these two teams all of our thoughts heading into the year were confirmed this weekend yeah exactly no 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 rinky so so the the Four that we had pinned, including Cernok, as being just dead solid, became three. Uh, you know, Peck is going to be the five. Indoors, he's good, not great. I don't love it. I think he's vulnerable, but he became four, and that made the five and six spots, you know, open. And, yeah, they they didn't defend him that great. Uh, they, they certainly look vulnerable there. So it's a team that I would say – uh, even though they've got other guys that can play, they they played Logan Zapp on day one. Uh, they played Ka- Sondergaard Kiger in those two spots day two. I, I think they've got options, but I wouldn't call them overly deep. And I think it's one of those that, yeah, on any given weekend, if you're missing a guy uh, or two because of protocols or whatnot, it makes them more vulnerable than maybe a couple of the other teams that that are a little deeper but even with a full lineup absolutely it was we confirmed that's that's where you have to attack you have to attack them at the bottom of the lineup yeah, I think that's a pretty fair synopsis of both of these teams. Again, huge shout out to Coach Macy for hopping on our red zone coverage, uh, and we, you know, we sincerely appreciated that. It's always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with him. And again, I think the way his team responded, things got tricky there against UCLA. And a shout out deserves to go to those Bruins who were without Govin Nanda, Patrick Giraj, Drew Baird, Connor Hans, and still. You know, took, I think, three sets off of the Trojans in singles. Keegan Smith played a really bad third set, but it looked like Solokian and uh, who is the other one? And uh, it looks like in Roscoe Bellamy, they have guys who are ready to step in and fill in the bottom of the lineup. So I was impressed by UCLA very much less so with Cal, who needed 4-3 to beat UNLV. Not a great weekend for Berkeley. Huge win, as you mentioned earlier, for the Northwestern Wildcats over Duke. Shout out! To our man, Presley Thieneman, getting his first singles win of his college career, hopefully the first of many. We're going to be a two-tiered podcast. We're going to advocate for Lucas Greif, and we're going to enjoy Presley Thieneman victories here on this podcast moving forward. But other than that, it was a phenomenal 
kickoff weekend, and obviously we have talked about it, I think, from every angle. We will come back eventually to offer our top 10 rankings now for these men's college tennis teams. And of course, we know the National Indoors is right down the road, and we will be previewing that event as we get closer and closer to it. Of course, we are still waiting to find out exactly what happens with Texas A&M and Baylor. As soon as we do, we will be back here to preview all of the action. Of course, if you missed any of our coverage and would like to go rewatch any of it, you can, as you can find the link to our Red Zone stream on our YouTube channel. It was a fantastic weekend of coverage, and again, a huge shout out to the ITA, to NC State, USC, Ohio State, and Michigan, to all of you Cracked Rackets fans who joined us, and of course, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who then and now has a of an editing job to do and yet always seems to make it happen with that in mind I will give you to the final thoughts Maddie then Chris your final takeaways from the 2021 ITA kickoff weekend we got what we wanted right boys it was a, a fun weekend and, and again just shout out to you guys I mean if it, if I wasn't in the varsity tennis center I was streaming you guys um, you know, keeping me up to up to date on everything. So big shout out to you guys, Gruskin, Chris, and of course, Westoff was all over it. Um, so that was fantastic. And, and hopefully we can keep something like that going for the future. Chris? Yeah, my takeaway, Gruskin, I think we had seven good winners this weekend. I'm not even going to count the Michigan region as one of them. So now you're going, well, wait, there were only six other sites. Well, who's the seventh winner? Of course, it's me, Gruskin. Because <laughs> I four of the other six. You two schmucks got two apiece. Yeah, so. it was bad for the predictions. It was very, very bad. <laughs> only I think there was only one four-three match all weekend. I think hosts went four and three on the weekend. Even if it's not Baylor. It's definitely not going to be Michigan advancing to the national indoors. So, yeah, not great for the predictions. Not great for the Wake Forest, our Cracked Rackets number two preseason team. That uh, didn't age too well. Someone also tried to troll me over saying that Virginia could be a top 10 team with its freshmen. To that person, I say, clearly, you don't listen to the show if you think I'm anti Virginia, you fool. Like, are you kidding me? Me, anti Virginia? Do you want to know the origins of this podcast? Do we need to go through that again? here on the show for some of you who may have forgotten hey Gruskin, uh, just for you i i made sure the rankings were accurate all right I've give me the your, top 10 give I, me I, your no, top 10 quickly saying, just okay. for that troll i made virginia number 11 <laughs> that's what you get mess with the bull you get the horns uh so i love to hear but again a huge thank you to all of the players coaches, fans out there who made this kickoff weekend as enjoyable and special as it was for us here at Cracked Rackets. We look forward to continuing our coverage of the 2021 college tennis season, and we hope you all will join us for that coverage throughout the course of the year. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts, Matt Stokowiak, Chris Halliorz, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey. hey. Great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thank you, as always, 